What is us? What is yourself? What does that even mean? How can we find ourselves? Is it a one-time gig or is it something we have to repeat over and over again? These are questions that we find ourselves asking very often in our lives and find ourselves a little bit amiss on how to answer them. For this week's episode of Talk To Me, I'm joined by Leslie Morgan Steiner, author, consultant, and thought leader on women's leadership, work-life balance, inspirational parenting, overcoming adversity, and surviving violence against women. We explore these questions uh, we ask ourselves about ourselves and how we can invest in ourselves. One very key thing we explore is how we all, regardless of gender, can invest in women who play a crucial role in every person's lives. We frame this view based on Leslie's own personal experience and how we can both appreciate and value women in our society. Have a listen. Welcome back, everybody. And uh, it's been a little hiatus for us. We, we took a little break because we were just sort of uh, looking through what we did, just reflecting and then coming back. So it's great to be back again here with Talk To Me and uh, never forgetting that there is Shashi who is always in the background. He's always there. He's always uh, helping us out at whenever we're recording one of these uh, Talk To Me sets. And this time around, I guess this is the best way to come back and talk to me. I'm joined by Leslie Morgan Steiner, author, consultant, and thought leader on women's leadership, work-life balance, inspirational parenting, overcoming adversity, and surviving violence against women. And I do implore everybody, there's, I think, a super, super popular YouTube video, a TED video with Leslie. Uh, That's the first time I learned about Leslie when I watched that TED video. Actually, I watched it first before getting to meet Leslie in person, virtually, of course. And there was a lot of insights, especially, and I think the, the part that jarred me when I saw the video was when Leslie pulled out the gun from her purse at that point in time. So we're here, joined by Leslie. Hey, Leslie. Hi, it's such a pleasure to be here. Great. And uh, you're joining us all the way from Washington, D.C., correct? Yes. My right. hometown, my birthplace of Washington, D.C., USA. I think this is the best part of doing what we're doing right now, that borders don't really confine us anymore. We can actually do this with technology and how technology has brought us forward. And now human connection is beyond just seeing each other face to face. Leslie, I'm going to start off with this question. And um, I think this is a question that most of us have in the back of our, our minds, but we seldom ponder the real meaning of it. The word yourself what does that even mean what does yourself even mean this concept of yourself what do you think leslie you know i think it's such a wonderful question because it stops me in my tracks mm-hmm. what does it really mean especially today when there is really a revolution going on in terms of defining your own sexuality um, defining what gender you are. Um, it just, it's really quite something to stop and say, what does that mean? Uh, who, who, not just who am I, but who, who am I to myself? Mm-hmm. And in my personal journey as a woman, I feel like it's a particularly important touchstone because I think that much of the problem that women face around the globe is that we're quite often pressured to not connect with ourselves Mm. and to not even consider who we are Mm. and to just devote our entire life to getting ready to take care of men and children and our parents and then actually taking care of them. And there's not all that much room for a woman to think, who is myself? And so I think it's a I think it's a profound question for all human beings. Mm-hmm. But for me, I see everything through the lens of what it means to be female. And I think this is a particular challenge for women. Mm. And I think that another thing you mentioned that which uh, just kind of sparked something in my mind, this question of yourself. And here I'm talking from the standpoint of a, a, a male and also a, a father. I think that really dawned on me when my son was born, because 
then here is me and my wife having conversation about what's who is this boy going to be when he grows up and what's our role here in guiding him towards that journey do we just let him discover himself do we play a, a important role there what happens when he defines himself and maybe then this comes to the next thing i was about to talk about because he's going to go through different different moments walks of life and i think more so when i think of what you just mentioned about seeing through the lens of women and i want to look at my wife as well i i see the different things that has happened to her in this seven years of marriage that i've had with her as well like when we got together to how she is now and maybe that's that's the pondering thought here right when we talk about ourselves we we try to sort of put a pin on the calendar and say that okay this is that point in my age that i define who i am but is it that simple like a pin on the calendar maybe at some point in your life you have defined who you are is it really like that and maybe it maybe it is for you for some people i don't i don't know i think one of the things that's interesting about this is how can you even imagine what it's like to be somebody besides yourself mm. um how do other people see the world how is their experience so different from yours or the same mm. i also feel like part of you know the most interesting thing in life to me is relationships mm. and i've been married twice and divorced twice mm. and in both of those relationships i tried more than anything to to become one person with my husband mm. and that's a very challenging thing to do how do you become a unit as a family as parents as a couple without losing yourself mm. and do you want to lose yourself or if you lose yourself does it doom the relationship mm. and i would also add on to that is that you know one of the things that i've written a lot about is becoming a mother and i you know i've written about becoming a mother naturally but i've also written a book the baby chase about surrogacy and hiring another woman to essentially grow a baby for you mm. and i think that i in some ways was very lucky that i did not have any trouble getting pregnant and i had three very healthy easy pregnancies mm. but when i was pregnant was i still just myself because i had another human being inside me mm. you know i grew two girls and a boy into my own body and mm. so how does that play into what your definition of a self is and you know i think it's interesting i wonder for you what it's like being a father i i am fascinated how it's different to be a father versus a mother mm. and in some ways i think it's easier for fathers and in other ways i think it's harder for fathers because i think arguably it's harder for fathers to connect with their children because they don't always have that experience of <clears throat> knowing from the moment of conception you know feeling the physical changes um becoming a father in some ways is more akin to being an adoptive mother but do i even know that no i don't because i've never been a father so i don't know and mm. i think it's an interesting thing to consider and to talk about yeah and i think i sort of want to let you know how i went through it before i want to ask you a question about the sort of changes that happened like i saw the physical changes that was happening with my wife i got to experience the the emotional changes that happened with her as well but i was sort of like outside looking in kind of thing sure i experienced it but did i understand what that entirely meant no and i think the day that i realized that yes i'm really a father was the day that i remember my son being rolled out from uh, my when my wife went through a c section so he was being rolled out of the or and i i saw him right there and that was when it dawned on me like i am a father and that's when i started going through the process of understanding that oh okay now i've got another human being who's dependent on me and what i do from here on forth really would affect this other human being and how this person will discover themselves and i would say pregnancy started then for me it started right then and then for me and not only pregnancy but also the the fact that i had to also now take care of this human being who's right in front of me and i'm if i'm being honest it was tough i actually had a full year where i had difficulty 
coming to terms with that, coming to terms that this, and if we're talking about ourselves, this new self of mine is completely different from the self just a few minutes ago before I saw this little baby get rolled out. So my question, perhaps, and, and because I always saw this from the lens of my wife and we ne- maybe never really had this conversation, but I just wanted to ask you, like, what were those changes that you felt? And for you, it's uh, three times over, right? Because you said uh, three kids, right? Three times over. What were exactly those changes in you that happened? And were they different each time? Well, I'll start by saying that I had always wanted to have children. Um, It was something that I fantasized and dreamed about even when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. I always liked, I had younger siblings and I always liked babysitting and being with babies and little kids. So it was something that I wanted very much. And so I was very excited when I, the first time that I got pregnant and I really loved being pregnant and seeing all of the changes in my body. I thought it was hands down the most fascinating thing that had ever happened to me as a woman. Mm. But the thing that was really most profound on an emotional level was that from the time that I was pregnant until now, I, I felt attached to my children in a way that I never imagined was possible. And I remember early on when I was only a few months pregnant, I went, um, on a business trip to Canada from, I was living in New Jersey, outside of New York city. I was working for Johnson and Johnson, launching Splenda brand sweetener around the world in a marketing role. And I went to Canada and I remember thinking, I'm not going to Canada alone. I'm, I'm, I have this baby in me. And I felt, especially as the, the, the fetus grew and started moving and doing somersaults and kicking, you know, elbows and, feet out, I I felt so aware of not being alone. Mm. And for me, it was a very profound and wonderful, amazing experience. Mm. And then when that first child was actually born, I felt as if uh, very much like you did in that I felt reborn Mm. as a new person. And for me, it was mostly really positive, but I also had an incredible sense of the responsibility of it. Mm. And my husband who, and I, I just want to say that the man that I had children, the three children with was not the abusive husband. Um, but he, he was an only child. He had not been raised around children and he took to fatherhood much more slowly than I took to motherhood. And he's a wonderful father, but I took to it really quickly. And there were things that was, they were very hard for me. He hadn't told his coworkers that I was having a baby. Um, and he, I think, didn't really believe that I was having a baby until the baby was born. Mm -hmm. And it actually, it it took him at least a year to, just like you, to really become a father. I would say, arguably, it took him more like five or 10 years Mm -hmm. to really deeply become a father. And that was really hard for me because I felt alone and I felt really angry with him. And I felt like he didn't love me. He didn't it was, it was a disconnect between us. And I wonder if that is a disconnect between a lot of couples when they have children, if the father isn't quite as ready as the mother to become a parent, or sometimes the mother is the one who's not as ready. And that's, that's very difficult for everybody involved. Mm. And I think we should all go easy on each other and recognize that parenthood doesn't necessarily come naturally to everybody. Mm. And different people are different good at are are better at different stages of parenthood Mm -hmm. and that there are lots and lots of ways to be a really wonderful parent. And also that it's, it's an okay choice to not become a parent if Mm -hmm. it's not what you think you're going to be good at. I think it's not just at birth, right? It's also when, uh, and, and this is speaking for personal experience, when I started really understanding what it is to be a father, this is where, self-projection starts coming into play because my wife has certain ways that she thinks that the child should be raised or certain qualities that should be uh, sort of uh, shared with the child. And here I am also thinking very differently on how we should do it. And then here comes the problem when if both do not see eye to eye, 
then 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 you start getting a whole different set of problems because there is two different people two different human beings who think differently trying to find and reconcile what do we do with this child so that there lies in a bit of a, a challenge when when parenthood comes into play and i think this then leads into something else i want to ask you like we're really good as people as human beings we're really good when we project ourselves onto something and we define ourselves based on that projection so we we think that okay um we want to contribute to something someone or situation and that's how we define ourselves when we are projecting ourselves onto something but then i find that we're super poor and maybe this is just my assumption that we're super poor at internalizing and understanding what are we contributing to ourselves i think that i see it slightly differently mm. i think in terms of raising children let me just say that i think it is i i never had a fight with my husband there was nothing worth fighting over you know we were both we were in love we were reasonable mature right. people we both gone to Wharton business school we had so much in common but then when we had kids suddenly there was something there was very high stakes that to me felt like it was really worth fighting for mm. how were we going to raise these children how were we going to keep them safe mm. how much time were we going to spend with them how what kind of child care were we going to have mm. how were our careers going to be impacted there was a lot that was worth fighting for mm. and so i have a lot of sympathy on that front and i think it's part of parenting is to get in the trenches and say this really matters to me how are we going to work this out mm. and i think it's really worth recognizing too that children need lots of different parental influences mm. and that it's great that they have two parents or more parental figures in terms mm. of extended family and teachers and siblings i think it's a very rich way to grow up and that mm. we as parents should welcome all of that mm. but in terms of investing in yourself and projecting on yourself mm. i I think that my experience is really deeply colored by the fact that I <clears throat> grew up in a family that was a wonderful family in lots of ways but there was a lot of substance abuse, alcohol and drug abuse in my history and my family's history. And I quit all of that when I was 18 years old and I was in a freshman in Harvard College. And that was a time in my life where I was reborn this was before I had kids but I would say it was maybe the first time that I was reborn because I was reborn as somebody who was committed to going through life without alcohol or drugs mm -hmm. and it it required me to invest a lot in myself mm -hmm. in terms of self-help programs and a community of people who are also committed to not using alcohol and drugs and also a lot of therapy So I have always been acutely aware of how I was investing in myself and I would say very impatient about how long that process takes and how gradual <laughs> the improvements mm. are. And I think it's important to be patient with yourself mm. when you're trying to make changes and improvements and it's also really important to be patient with other people. Mm. And I particularly think that people who are very intelligent and very what we call type A and very ambitious about their careers and their educations mm. and accomplishing things in life not necessarily making money but just mm. contributing and accomplishing we are we tend to be very impatient mm. and it's very it's a really important and beautiful part of life to try to slow everything about life down and not take it not take even self improvement mm. too quickly mm. but how do we reframe that though because Uh, I don't know I've never done a test to find out but uh, most tell me that I'm a type A as as well I, I'm assuming that you are as well but uh, how can we learn to be patient with ourselves because I you're right I I I completely feel that I I know that I've got to slow down I've got to think things through and experience has taught me that sometimes the answers don't come when you're asking the question the answers come when something happens and you sometimes just got to wait for that thing to happen because your mind or yourself is just not ready for it but here is everything else in life that is being thrown at you and you're thinking why can't i get this done right now how can i just learn how to be patient with this situation so how how can someone can can someone do that especially in this world like we're living in right now right where we're it's 
one of those moments where a once in a generation pandemic has hit us. It has changed how we live. Each of our days are in front of a screen and because there's no disconnect in a sense where you're not traveling somewhere, you're not walking somewhere. So now less and less time is spent on yourself to be patient. How can one learn to be patient in this kind of world? Well, I think it's one of the silver linings of having to quarantine Mm -hmm. and to spend so much time not going so quickly through life Mm -hmm. is that the the quarantine has forced many of us to slow down. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the way that it happens. I think you're exactly right. You can't force these kinds of changes on yourself. Um, I think the world and life sometimes forces these things upon ourselves. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being type A and highly competitive and highly motivated if that's who you really are. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no regrets about being that way. Mm-hmm. It's been a lot of fun. I've gotten a tremendous amount of, out of life. I feel like I've lived a very rich life. But something happened to me when I was, I think I was about 40 years old when it happened. You know, I had gone to Harvard College. I had an MBA from Wharton Business School. I'd had a very robust and successful career. Mm. I was working at the Washington Post in Washington, D.C., and I had been promoted so much in the five years that I'd been there that I actually was doing three full-time jobs at once Mm. while I was also raising three little kids. Mm. And so I was, my life was a constant sprint from the moment I woke up. I woke up early and I go, go, go until the moment I collapsed at Mm. night. And I didn't sleep very much. And I, you know, I just was a very fast paced person mm-hmm. and several things happened to me. And one of them was that um, it's not exactly accurate to say that I was fired from my job. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I forced, I, I, there were some compromises that the company wanted from me that I was not willing to give. And so they said very nicely, they said, well, why don't you go somewhere else? <laughs> and so I had, I was faced at this moment in time with, suddenly being having no job to go to. Mm. And it was a great wake up call for me. And it took Mm. me at least a year to get used to it. Mm. I had panic attacks. I was so worried. Who was I without my high profile Mm. job? And I decided to try as hard as possible to do nothing Mm. and to go nowhere and do nothing and see what came to me. And Mm. that is when I became a writer. Mm. I had always loved writing. I had, I had been a writer in other times in my life, but kind of on the edges and the fringes. Mm. But when I left the Washington Post or the Washington Post left me at age 40 is when I became a full-time writer. Mm. And it was just wonderful because it showed me that sometimes the worst things that happen to you or what you think is terrible um, can be the best thing. And I don't mean the worst things. I don't Mm. mean the death of Mm. a child or the untimely death of a parent or a horrible illness. I mean, Things that type A people think of as being terrible, which is okay. not getting into the graduate program that you want mm. or, not, or getting fired from a job. Those things are very hard on our ego, mm. but they're very, very good for us because they open up mm. a lot of space mm. in us. Mm. And I would say the only thing you can do if that happens is to try to embrace it mm. and to trust and say, trust yourself, mm-hmm. trust the world, the universe, your spouse, whatever is happening and saying, I'm going to try to embrace this. I'm going to try to be type A about failure um, (laughs) and get a lot out of that too. That's rather profound in this moment for me, hearing that from you. That's a, and and to anybody who's listening, like I'm going through a bit of a journey whenever I talk to somebody. And now Leslie saying what she just said, is kind of a, a bit of a wake up call to remind me of what just happened in recent times. And, and you're right with this whole type A thing. I think, and I'm not assuming for everybody, but for me, one of the worst things that can happen to me is if I do not have anything to do. That's when I feel like, oh gosh, what's going on? Because my day is exactly as what you mentioned just now, waking up at 5 a.m. and it's go, 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 all the way until probably like 12 and 12 midnight. And that's when I get to bed and every part of my day is filled with something. And you're right about this whole building. I, like I found myself building self-worth when I took some time to say that, look, um, at least try this, Nagesh. Three hours a day. Three hours a day, do nothing. Three hours a day, stop yourself from wanting to run after something. 
just see what comes to you during that three hours. And like how you discovered writing, that three hours reminded me of what gave me a lot of joy and gave me, and, and this is where I, I think reframing that projection of, of self helps. So I found, I found back my love for writing music. I used to do this a lot. I, I, I released songs and all that. And taking that three hours each day kind of reminded me of, you know, that's, that's one way that I project myself, but not onto anything, but onto these pieces of creative work that I'm writing. And it doesn't matter if it goes out to somebody or not. It doesn't matter if somebody listens to it or not. But I just managed to get this out and it helps me unravel myself a little bit and understand myself that much more and perhaps give me that much more self-worth. I mean, I think that's a beautiful story and that's exactly what I'm talking about. And I think if you had said to me when I was in your shoes with a young family and a robust career, if you had said, take three hours to do nothing, I would have I would have either laughed or screamed because three <laughs> hours is a lot of time when you got yeah. busy. Yeah. And I don't think I could have done it. I'm the type of person that the only way I could do that is I would, if I was forced to do that by outside circumstances, that takes mm. a lot of discipline, mm. but I think it's a beautiful thing to do and it's very worthwhile. And I think it's also worthwhile to just ask the question, why have I designed my life to be so busy? Mm. Most of us do design our lives to a certain extent. Mm. We might not be aware that we're doing that, mm -hmm. but we definitely are. And for me and for other people who I know, there are, there are some of us who have designed our lives to be that busy because we are running from something. Mm. We are running from a truth about ourselves mm. or a traumatic event in our past, mm. um, something we want to get away from. Mm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with running away mm. um, as long as it's, you're, you're also running towards something and it's mm. constructive. But I also think that it is a very worthwhile thing to try to take a time out and say, if I do nothing and I just try to listen to myself, mm. what's, what's going on with me? What is the universe saying to me? Mm. What, what do I really value? Mm. And I was, when I was about your age, I was really frightened by how quickly my life was going by. Mm. Um, and I really wanted to slow things down. And that was a major motivator for me too, to not get back into a crazy life where I was working three full-time jobs at once and, and being so busy is that I wanted to try to slow down time. Mm. And one of the only ways you can slow down time is by doing less. Mm. And that was good for me. And I had many insights into myself as a mother and a person and a mm. wife and everything. Mm. Um, but it's not, it's, it's, it's very personal for every person. And I, I also think there's nothing, I think it's a wonderful thing to have a, a very full life where you're, you feel like you're going hard at life all the time. Mm. I think that's terrible. That's terrifically rewarding as well. Do you mind if I ask this question? Like at that point when you were doing three full-time jobs, being a mother of kids, being a, a wife and also being a woman, woman in society as well. What did you feel you were running away from? I didn't feel at the time that I was running away from anything. Right. I felt like I was so proud to be a working mother mm. and to be kind of doing it all. Right. And I thought I was doing it all really well. I loved, loved being a mom mm. and I loved working and I liked being a working mother. Mm. I liked all of that a lot. So I was really happy, but I definitely was running from something. And I would say, looking back now, there were probably two things I was running from. Mm. One is that I, after, because I had had this physically abusive, disastrous first marriage, mm. you know, to a man who I had married very young and who I had, um, who had tried to kill me repeatedly mm. and had really come close to killing me and had mm. just obliterated mm. my life and my early success. Mm. I, I really wanted to show the, my family, my friends, the entire world that I was fine mm. and that I, I might have made this one terrible mistake <laughs> with that first marriage, but that I actually was the great person they always thought I was. Mm. So I felt like I was trying to show that. But then at a deeper level, I was trying to rectify 
something that I had grown up with that had caused me great pain as a child, but that I wasn't fully aware of. And that is in my, my parents were married for a, a very long time. Mm. Um, and my mother was like me had gone to Harvard. She was very accomplished. Um, she was a really amazing woman. And as the marriage wore on, my father treated her with less and less and less respect. Mm. He really denigrated her and denigrated her career. She was a teacher. Mm. And he, I never heard him say that she was a good mother or that she did so much to hold our family together. And to, she, she was a wonderful mother. Mm. She is, she's been dead for over 10 years, but she, when she was alive, she was, and, and as a mother to small children, the things that she did to us, the education that we had and the life that we had, the security mm. and the stimulation and mm. all of that, she was, I can't think of a better mother. And my father never was able to compliment her in any way. Mm. And I feel like in some ways, what I was trying to do my entire life was a statement to my father saying, right. you must respect her. Mm. You know, she was so dear to me and so valuable to me. And it really, it, and in some ways it just destroyed me that the, the man who was so important in my life did not respect the woman who was so important in my life. Yeah. And if I look back on my entire, my career now, my writing, everything that I write about mm. in some way says, pay attention to women. Mm. Take women seriously, treat women with respect. Mm. And I think in some ways I am still that little kid trying to say to my own father, treat mom with respect because she really deserves it. Mm. And because I was a female myself, I am female. I think he, the fact that he was treating my mother with, with so little respect was intensely personal to me because I felt like he was disrespecting all women and all mothers. Mm. Um, so I think that we, I think some of us carry a lot of baggage like that for a long time without even realizing it. Right. And it's only when you get really quiet and look inside yourself, you can see what you're running from. Mm. And I think from the outside, it looked like I was running towards all of these accomplishments and I was, and I don't regret a single one of them. I love the work that I've done. And I love the books that I've written that, that have, that, and every single time I said, pay attention to women, mm. because I think I'm right about that. Mm. But it, it's added, added another nuance to it for me personally to realize that the roots of this were so deeply personal to me mm. as a girl and a woman. You know, something that you mentioned that kind of uh, triggered something in my mind that maybe, maybe it's not the fact that we're running away from something. And maybe the, and the way that I, I felt this when you were saying those things were taking time for ourselves just to stop and do nothing can also be scary because that's the time when more often than not, you've got to look into yourself and you're going to be afraid of what you find. And because you're scared to see that, you some you choose not to stop and you choose to just continue doing things, running your life so that you don't have to face that like, um, I did go through that a few times where when I stopped and looked into myself and that's where I, I found that very scary thing, which um, at one point it was me not even understanding or knowing what the gravity of choice was going to be like. Because I, I grew up in a very Asian family. So most in the initial part of my life, most of my choices were sort of made for me. And even if I had choices, they were second guests all around. So I, I never got a chance to make those choices. And when I stopped once and, and, and took time to look into myself, I was afraid that I was not good enough as a person because I just could not make my own life choices. I think that that, that scary situation is what we most of the time, or maybe I feel like most of the time we run away from because if we stop, we get to think. And if we think, we find that part of ourselves. But I think it's also important, like you said, to actually find that part of ourselves. Because if you don't understand, you never will move forward. And what you're talking about really is discovering your own self-truth. Mm. And even when you were so busy that you couldn't connect with that part of you that thought that you weren't really good enough, that part was still having a huge influence on your life. Mm. So what I would say is that it, it, it's much better and more efficient and constructive in the long run, in the arc of your life mm. to try to get to those scary truths 
very early mm. so that you can deal with them because they have so much power. They have more power if you don't deal with them. Mm. So it's wonderful to deal with them. And I, mm. you're touching a little bit on a subject that means a lot to me, which is what is self-esteem and mm. how do you build it in other people? Mm. Especially how do you build it in children mm. and in yourself? Mm. And I think that what you're talking about is that because so many decisions in your life were made by family members when you were younger, it robs you of the ability to discover your own confidence and your own self-esteem. And it's a lot easier to build self-esteem as a child mm. than it is later in life. It's very expensive to backfill self-esteem. Mm. It takes a lot of time. It like takes a lot of spiritual seeking and therapy and other forms of self-help. So for me as a parent, I'd say it was the most important thing to me was mm. to really pay a lot of attention to what my children thought about themselves. Mm. And it's not so easy to figure out, but it's also not as hard as you might think. Mm. Um, because I think if you're really paying attention to children, you can see the signs mm. that they are not thinking as highly of themselves as they should. But mm. then there's also this really fine line because mm. The way, and we see this so much now, I think, with modern day parenting, especially in the most elite parts of our culture, that we reward children for doing nothing. Mm. And that's terrible, too, because children are smart about these things and they know that they don't deserve it. Yeah. They don't deserve the trophies and the awards and they don't deserve all of this praise. You have to earn it mm. and you have to let kids have enough independence that they earn it. Mm. And I feel like my parents, my mother was so wonderful in so many ways, but because there was so much alcoholism in our family, mm. it's kind of like it, the, the loving people who were alcoholic and unreliable robbed me of a lot of self-esteem. Mm. And so I had to fill it later in my life. And I feel like I have done that. And it's, mm. it is a priceless thing to feel like you're your own friend. Mm. And that it also, as a woman, it makes it much easier for me to be alone. Right. I don't right. feel like I need to be married or that I need to have a, a steady boyfriend if I don't want one, mm -hmm. because I'm really, really happy being alone because mm -hmm. I don't feel alone because mm -hmm. I'm with myself mm -hmm. and that's a really great feeling. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know if men get self-esteem more easily than women. From my experience, it looks like they do, mm -hmm. but I think it's a case of the grass being greener on the other side of the fence. Right. Right. You know, I think, oh, men have it so easy because... They tend to be dominant in our life and they almost every culture um, thinks more highly of men and rewards mm. men more easily than women. But I also, I think that men, men have a different kind of struggle with self, true self-esteem. Mm. And I think if I could change, if you said to me, there's no point in my life that I would rather have been a man than a woman. Let's mm. put it that way. Mm. Um, even though in some ways I think men have it e more easily. So I, I question myself about that too. There's a mm. lot that women have much more easily mm. than men just because of the our intuition and our access to our emotions and also our access to the sisterhood of women. Mm. That's mm. harder in a lot of cultures to access, the, mm. the, the brotherhood of men. Maybe I'll answer that, that part about uh, being a man as well. So I'll answer that part. I think you already said it, through self-esteem. So it seems like we have self-esteem because the world is engineered in the way that it is and unfortunately i'm not a proponent of this i'm not a fan of this the patriarchal world that we are in i'm not a fan of it because everything around kind of coddles men and unfortunately that makes them seem like they're doing a lot better but a lot a lot do not find true self-esteem a lot have this layer in front of them. And when that layer breaks down, this is where you tend to see men having real emotional incapabilities and not the ability to also handle emotions when they come. And then really horrible things happen because they never really truly found themselves because the world's built around to give them this, this veneer that they can live through. I think it's a real challenge mm. to be a man and to make sure that you're honest with yourself and in touch with who you really want to be and who, what kind of life you want to live. Mm -hmm. And there's so much pressure on men to be a certain way. Mm. And it's arguably greater than it is on women. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that I think about is that is might be fresh in your mind is that 
women are quite often, it's either, sometimes it's assumed that they're going to stay home and take care of a baby when they're Mm -hmm. pregnant. Mm -hmm. But at the very least, they're usually asked, Mm -hmm. are you going to stay home? Mm -hmm. And very, very few men, when they have children, are Mm -hmm. even given the option of of not working or slowing down their careers Mm -hmm. or not being the family's breadwinner. Mm -hmm. It seemed as a a shameful thing. And it Mm -hmm. shouldn't be because taking care of kids is a, is a wonderful thing for men to do as well Mm. as for women. Mm. Um, And we should at least ask men Mm. Mm. um, if they, if how much time do they want to be doing, you know, what, how is the division of labor going to happen? We shouldn't just default to the fact that it's a woman's job because that's not fair to children. Mm. It's not fair to women. It's not fair to men. I think that's a great time for me to ask this question because I experienced this firsthand um, recently, just about three years ago when my son was born. So there was this direct assumption, and and surprisingly, it is not from another man, but it was from other women. My mom, my mother-in-law, uh, which when my son was born, so my assumption when my my son was born was always going to be that it's going to be joint parent parent parenthood with me and my wife. We're going to do equal amount of things. That I'm completely of mind that. There's some things she can do that I cannot do. And there's some things I can do that she cannot do. But it was never going to be she's going to do more than me kind of thing or I'm going to do more than her. And even in the early days, because she went through uh, cesarean. So I knew that I had to give her time to heal. So, and unfortunately, I didn't have as much off days as she had, but I tried to do what I could during the time that I was with her off. But the funny thing is my mother-in-law and my mother are the ones coming to me and saying that you shouldn't be doing this. You should let us do this or let her heal up in three days and let her take it on. And in my mind, I was like, wait a minute. I mean, my wife, someone cut through my wife. Someone cut through my wife and took out my son. She's in pain. She's going to take some time to heal. So what, what is wrong with me taking care of my son right now? The seven days that I have and... After this, I've got to go back to work and I've got to now go and, you know, work for the family because she's going to need to rest up for a while. So that brought this thought and this question where roles of women, roles of women changing. And maybe I want to ask you this question because you've, you've now seen or gone through probably a few generations of this to see, um, okay, I wouldn't use the words generation, but a few decades to see how this is changing. So in your mind, do you think from where you started from to now, how women's role have changed in society? Or maybe the question here is, is it a change of role or more a change of how we view those roles? Well, I would start with saying that even though I have been observing this for my entire life, So since I was a little child, so let's say five decades, Mm. that five decades, 50 years is a nanosecond in Mm. terms of social change Mm. and in terms of gender changes and gender roles. Mm. But even so, I feel like I have seen so much change. It's been really radical Mm. to see how parenthood has changed just in one generation from my father's generation to my husband's generation. And I still think that we have a very, very long way to go, but the fact that you're even aware of these issues is huge. Mm. And that you even thought that you had the the right to say, no, 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 I want to be the one taking care of my child for these Mm. first seven days. Mm. I want to help my wife is quite a big thing. I think it's nothing in terms of where we should really be, but I think it's significant. And I also think that it's fascinating that women, that that support comes from the least likely places. Mm. And I think it's one reason why you have to be so strong in terms of what you want for yourself. And I, I think that parenthood is a great example because it's Biologically, it's one of our strongest drives is Mm -hmm. to have children and protect them. Mm -hmm. And I think that what goes along with that is this very intense and almost selfish feeling like, Mm. but I want to parent the way I think is best. Mm. 
And for you, if you think parenting best is for you to be very involved in your child's life, that should, if you're in touch with yourself, give you the strength to stand up to these primary women in your life. You know, there are no more primary women than your mother, your mother-in-law and your, and your own wife. If you had two out of three saying, no, you shouldn't be doing this. That's pretty rough. I mean, a lot of men just would have run back to work and said, okay, I give up. Um, But it sounds like you are still fighting for your right to be the kind of father that you want to be. And the thing that I love about this is that it's good for men. Like it's good for you that you've done that because you're going to get more out of parenting. Mm. It's also obviously so good for your wife because first of all, she got to heal better, Mm. but, but you know, she can continue her career. She can continue her own interests in a way that perhaps your mother and mother-in-law could not. Mm. But the thing that's most beautiful about this is that it's wonderful for children because Mm. they need to attach to both parents. Mm. They absolutely need positive relationships with both parents. And I would say even more than both parents, they need an extended family. I really, it's really true that children benefit from having strong attachments to many different types of authority figures in their life. Um, so it's good for everybody that you're doing that. And I think that all men should do that, but it's, it's funny, isn't it? How hard it is. It's being a proponent of any kind of social change is like, it's like a, you know, wading through mud. It's Mm. really, really difficult every single day. But I think if each one of us can one by one start doing that, I think over time, and you're right, uh, it's a drop in the ocean five decades, but over time, if we continue having more and more do these kind of things. Hopefully that'll be good, good enough change. Exhilarating to say I might just be, you know, a little drop in the ocean, but it's my I'm a big drop in my pond. Yeah, um, I'm getting more of what I want. What you said there kind of, kind of sparks a, a thought in me. Like I, I, one of the strongest women in, in my life is my mom. My mother is one of the most strongest women in my life. Um, I would say that a lot of my traits right now as well come from her. Like being a housekeeper i enjoy doing that i enjoy doing that that actually comes from my mom because she taught me at a very young age never to just assume that somebody else is going to come and pick up after you you've got to do it yourself and you know learning that from her but also observing what has happened to her kind of also always put this two terms in my head first the story of it would be my mom unfortunately Till today has never had her own life and that's sad that's really sad to see because um she unfortunately went down the trope of being a, a one of those stereotypical asian women wife kind of thing where um yes she had a career but she never got a chance to really advance herself in a career why because at some point in her life she got married and there's all these social stigmas of what she had to do as a married woman as a married indian woman and unfortunately, her life went down that, that path. It just, it's just marriage, kids, serving that. She never got time for herself. Once she retired, she had like this brief, brief glimpse moment where she could do something, which that's, that was those years that I saw pure joy in her. Because here, me and my sister, we are both uh, working ourselves. My dad was all right and doing his own thing. And she got time to do her own thing. And then came back to that whole stereotypical thing where dad unfortunately is very ill so she had to take care of him she felt it's a responsibility of hers to take care of him like we had to convince her like look we can get a caretaker we can get a caretaker at home and you can take care of yourself the other thing is being a grandparent as well she just defaulted to being there but not being grandparent in the sense that she's enjoying grandkids she's raising grandkids so when I saw that happen, my mom, like till today, she just does not have any room for herself. These two terms keep on coming into my head where I understand the strength of my mom. I understand the strength that she has. Like in, in no way I, I would I ever be able to replicate that kind of strength. But here's also a question back to you as well. When I look at these kind of things, I, I never want to be an equal to my mom. And I do not think that anybody, and this is how I think about men and women, no man should try to be an equal of a woman. No woman should try to be an equal of a man. But what you should find is equity. Equity in a sense where what can we do to contribute? 
in that dichotomy of relationship between men and women. I'm going to get to that in one sec. Let me yes. just take a second to pause and say that I, I love that story about your mother. Everything about her, the strength and the part where you look at her and say, hmm, I don't know. I don't want exactly that for myself. Mm. Because I think our parents, particularly our mothers, but I think that our fathers too, mm. they show us who we want to be as adults in very good ways, but they also, part of their gift to us is they show us who we don't want to be. Yeah. And I'm just as grateful for the ways that my parents showed me what I didn't want to be mm -hmm. as I am for how they shaped me mm -hmm. in positive ways. Mm -hmm. So there's that. But then to this question of equality versus equity, I mm -hmm. think it's a very important and interesting question. And I would say that the way that I look at it is that equality is that Everybody is equal. It's mm. sort of a philosophical, moral question. Mm. Um, one human life is worth the same as another mm. human life. And mm. I believe that very strongly. And that we all have equal rights to the same things. Mm. But I think like what you're talking about is that there are fundamental differences mm. between people, particularly between men and women. But you could also take me and any other woman and mm. you and any other man, and we could say that they require different things. And I think that equity is a very pragmatic mm. execution of equality. And I'll, one simple example is, let's look at safety. Mm. So if you consider equality, everybody has an equal right, I believe, to be safe. Mm. To be safe in their home mm. from domestic violence or some kind of family violence, to be safe at work from sexual harassment, to be safe when they walk down the sidewalk. Mm. So we both all have that equal right, but mm. obviously different people require different forms of equity mm. because you and I walking down a deserted city street alone at night, we have different kinds of, of equity there because mm. you don't need a bodyguard probably. Mm. Mm. I do. Mm. Mm. And I have since I was born really, because women are just so much more vulnerable in terms of safety. Mm. And so I think it's fair to say you can tailor equality mm. so that everybody gets equity. Mm. And I think in looking at couples, like just imagining you and your wife, I'm, I don't know anything about what your marriage is like or what she wants from her career, but equality might be that you both have the equal right to choose what kind of marriage you want and what kind of balance between work and raising kids that you want. You both have the right to choose that. But then in terms of equity, it could be that, you know, for the first five years, she wants to be home with the kids much more, more and that you go out and you're the breadwinner. That could be a way of saying we're, we're equal, but we're not getting the exact same thing and we're not mm -hmm. doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that is the difference between equality and equity. And I think that they're both very, very important. And I mm -hmm. think it's kind of a cop-out when I hear people say, well, why should women have special treatment? Or mm -hmm. why should minorities or somebody of a certain race or religion, why should they have any special treatment? Mm -hmm. And it's because equity matters. And equity is not exactly the same thing as equality. Yeah. yeah. And it takes time, I guess, to understand that and truly practice that as well. Because, um, and thanks for actually opening my eyes with that whole how to frame equality and equity as well. Because I, I mean, once you truly start understanding, then you take the time to actually take the right steps. It's not equity to treat everybody the same, but isn't yeah. that funny? And you're completely right that the first step in all of this is being aware of it. Mm. And the first step to understanding women or understanding men or understanding anybody who's different from you is to stop and say, I wonder if their experience is different than mine. Mm. It's back to what we started with about the self is, mm -hmm. is their self different than myself? And the mm. answer is always yes. yes, but it can take a long time and a lot of sensitivity to figure that out. And it also takes a lot of skilled communication to be able mm. to ask other people how their life is different and what they want and need in order to have equity and equality in this mm. lifetime. Mm. All right. And we're, Sashi just sort of popped the message saying that we're reaching time. So I've got one last question that I actually want to ask you. And this is the question that is in the title itself. So we've talked about sort of in a way how you can start investing in yourself. And we move towards conversations about um, women 
equality, equity. So maybe as a final, final thing, I want to ask you, how can we, whether it's men, whether it's other women or us, any one of us in society, really and truthfully in our own simple way every day start investing in women? So I could speak for the next 100 days, I think, about the way we invest in women. But in some ways, it's actually um, very straightforward. It doesn't mean it's easy because it's not. It's, it's incredibly difficult and expensive and complicated. But the ways that you can invest in women, it starts with education. Well, it starts even before that. It starts with nutrition and safety for little girls. Mm-hmm. But then after that, it's education. Um, in any society in this world, you cannot get ahead with, it's very difficult to get ahead without education. Mm. And it's also incredibly important to recognize how much violence affects women and girls. Mm. That in every country, in every economic strata, no matter your education or your religion or the family that you come in, it is a reality of women and girls' lives Mm. that there is violence against them from the very beginning. Sexual assault, harassment, family violence. It's just everywhere. And if a man is listening to this and he doesn't believe me, please just go ask your mother, your girlfriend, your mm-hmm. wife, your sister, when was the first time a man did something sexually inappropriate to them? And I promise you, you'll find very few, few women who made it to the age of 11 or 12 without that happening. Mm-hmm. So we've got to really recognize how the deck is stacked against women from the very beginning and try to rectify that. Mm-hmm. And bodily autonomy is very important. And so it's really important to punish people who violate women in this way. Mm. So you, you can see how very quickly we could talk for a long time about this. Mm. Um, but education, safety, opportunity of all sorts, mm. controlling their own bodies, controlling their reproductive life, when we have children, um, how many children we have, the control that we have over our careers and our educations, all of that is incredibly important to investing in women, Mm. making sure they have access, not just to education, but to the other things that make successful work and income available, that you have a network of people, that you can borrow money from a bank, that you can have a credit card in your own Mm. name, all of these things that you can make your own decisions. Mm. I feel like I want to start talking really fast because there are so many things that women need, but it all goes back to this fact of respecting women as equal to men and that we deserve equity. That Mm. it's not just that, okay, well, we're born and we're alive. That's Mm. not equality. Mm. Equality is much deeper than that. And women do need a lot of kindness and care and in some ways, special treatment Mm. to stay equal to men because Mm. men have such an advantage because Mm. almost every society is patriarchal and favors men from the very beginning. And maybe we should get you on again to actually go deeper into that, Anytime. that, that particular Anytime. topic. I love talking to you about all of these issues. I think that they're fascinating and wonderful, and it's helpful to everybody to talk about them and to question our own beliefs and each other's beliefs. Mm. I think I, I sort of want to end with that last thing you said that, because that that's really ringing in my head right now. And I, and I want to urge everybody who's listening to this episode, whether you're thinking about men or women, I think the most important thing is all of us, as, as Leslie just said, all of us as human beings deserve an equal chance to live. But take the time to understand how each person wants to live. I think that's the most important thing. And if, you, if everybody can start there, then I think you will find ways how to treat each other well, whether men or women. Thank you. And I will take that with me tonight too. Right. That's wonderful. So Leslie, there's usually what I do is towards the end, I kind of give time for whomever I'm talking to to sort of let our listeners know that if there's something happening with you, whether it's a book that is coming out or you're going to do something really special real soon that everybody should know. Is there something like that happening and you want to sort of give a shout out to everybody? What I would say to everybody is that I love hearing from people who've heard me speak or who have read my books or my articles or watched my TED talk. And I'm very easy to find. I have a website, lesliebooks.com. That's also my handle for Twitter and Instagram is at Leslie Books. Facebook is just my full name. And I'm 
try to be very accessible. And I love corresponding from people all over the world. And I'd love to hear everybody's thoughts on what we've talked about tonight. And also for those of y'all who are following me and you, you want to know how to get in contact with Leslie and you know that I am very active on, on Nicole. So Leslie's on Nicole as well. She has a channel there as well. And, and she exactly come visit me on my Nicole channel. And it's one of my most important social media outlets. And I'd love to hear from people. So thanks so much for your time, Leslie. I know we kept you this evening. It's probably now reaching 7 p.m. over there. Thank you so much, Leslie. You have a great day. Hope that was a good listen for all of you and looking forward to having you with us in the next episode, released every Friday. Talk to Me is brought to you by Nicole. It's a learning experience platform that brings you AI-powered personal and contextual learning with expert curated curriculum and communities that allows any customized blended learning solutions all in one app. The team at Nicole aims to provide a tool for everyone to choose as well as accelerate their skills, growth, career, and future. So we invite you to join us. Check out nickel.app to find out more and let's Nicole. <laughs>